Welcome to the Full FX podcast, Currency Matters. My name is Colin Lambert. I'm publisher of Full FX. And this is the first of what we hope might be a fairly regular event on our podcast channel. I'm joined by two contributors to the Full FX, Stephen Flanagan, um, who obviously most of you know from his uh, many, many years in the JP Morgan enterprise, and uh, Andy Durrant, who many of you know from his many years in quite a few different enterprises, actually, Andy, aren't you? I've lost track, Colin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, and the idea of the podcast basically is going to be, let's have a look back over the last month, maybe, and see, yes, stories that piqued our interest um, and, you know, potentially things that upset us. I'm sure Steve and Andy have got a few comments to make on things that I've said, and I can see Steve already champing at the bit there. So, yeah, uh, yeah the floor is open, chaps. Away you go. <laughs> well. I, I did want to make a comment on your 360T uh, interview uh, podcast there with Galen Stops, and you raised some great points. T plus one is spot and intraday swaps. Yeah, I mean, those are some uh, challenging things ahead. But um, the one I really wanted to talk about is, um, you know, you kind of led into a cybersecurity, especially in third party areas. And we can talk about that down the road when we get into some other subjects, but specifically you're on flash crash. Now, I don't see flash crashes anymore because, um, you know, maybe a rogue headline. Okay, I give you that, which could be, you know, with AI and cybersecurity leaks and things. Yeah, I, that's possible, but markets are so heavily automated today they'll be trading points all the way down and all the way back. And so rather than calling these things flash crashes, I think we got to kind of get a grip that maybe this is just part of the new market norm uh, of market volatility today. So we need a new name. We need a new name. Oh, okay. Well, there's a challenge for everybody. Can we come up with a new name for it? I, I, I do get your point. Um the only thing I would say is I, it is probably a question of definition, isn't it? Because I look at it and think, is it a question of how far it moves in a certain space of time? You know, if the market drops three big figures in five or 10 seconds and comes back, yes, it could have traded all the way down with millisecond trading, but I still think it would have caused a lot of damage and would have been a flash move. Yeah, cause a lot of damage. Yeah, it's a fast move. But if there's several hundred, hundred ex trade executions in that, millisecond world does that constitute you know and you did you know you did rightly talk about repapering and uh, that seems to be no um especially if there's that many trades on both sides of the market you know we auto correct so fast because everything happens today so fast so yeah we need a new name i don't think a flash crash from a historical perspective you know fits the mold today yeah do, do we do we think that where we're going with the reduced number of potential participants, that that even though it's going algorithmic, do we think that that will have a material impact or and, and allow it to happen or or not? Well, I mean, certainly, if if you look at it and say there's fewer participants, then it's probably less people that have to pull the plug on their pricing to create a problem. But then I guess you get to Steve's point is that what these guys are saying is, well, yeah, we won't pull the plug on our own venue, for instance. Now, I'm sure they'll pull the plug on other venues, especially as they go down the food chain. But I mean, it's an interesting point. Well, I only raise it because, you know, 
you know, call it idle chit chat, whatever, but network or whatever, the 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 numbers of interested parties, and it's not just you know, sell side banks or tier two banks or regional or buy side or whatever. I I think that the the approach is becoming slightly more. Uh, there's less there's less end users that are are genuine providers now and more people going into these places and when they you know the internalization that we all know goes on i'm guessing i'm i'm i guess i'm thinking that that will maybe contribute to the potential of this happening and that's that's all steve yeah possible but you know i i kind of look at it in today as okay so I'm a smart guy and I write this program that says, hey, if the market drops 100, I'm going to take my old dinosaur trading days. If the market drops 100, I'll buy two. And if it drops 200, I'll buy three more. And if it drops 500, I'm going to buy five more. And if it drops 1,000, I'm going to the pub. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But, and and I have a market an automated market model out there that takes advantage of this anomaly. Um, and then it rises right back up. Why should I be penalized by taking that risk in that market? And that that's where I kind of run into this crash flash, you know, objection. I a hundred percent agree with you on that, because I do think that, you know, we've seen events where some traders, yeah, old school traders have said, Okay, you know what? This is silly. I'm buying some here. And they have been called upon to repaper those trades. And I think, well, that's not right. More importantly, if your algo is out of control, whose responsibility is it? I, I, I agree with that. And I in my past most recent role of eight years, that that came up. And and it was very, you know, we, you know, because of having access to all the data on a particular platform. And the view of the world that we have, we could see you, you could you could almost see it coming. I mean, we we weren't real time, but we weren't far off real time in our ability to be able to look at behavior, at price action, or whatever. Um, and and your point is really valid, Colin. You know, wh- why why should they be treated differently? If uh, and and I think the the uh, how do I put this? The the intellectual capacity and and, and maybe lack of historical um, of situations made for some interesting approaches and conversations. I think it's fair to say. So we nearly agree on that. We just need a new name. Yeah, we need a new name. Okay, that's fine. That's the first. That's the first problem of the world we've solved. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, I just wanted to say one more on your podcast. Chili Naki. Okay, I get that one. That was pretty off the beaten path. <laughs> that was 2023. But come on, Pen Gel? <laughs> I I had to search long and hard to even find a quote on that anywhere. Uh, I was able to say uh, in Peru, you got six and a quarter percent interest rates. And in Georgia, you've got 9%. So you're going long Peru. You're, you're running against the carry trade idea there. 
Oh, Steve, don't mention that. I was hoping nobody, I, I would hope I was hoping nobody had noticed that and I'd get away with it. No, 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 no. That didn't go the by thing me. Is, I'm three percent down on the carry then this year. I'm already five percent down after one month. <laughs> Could you be more transparent about the actual pairs that, that you're naming? Because I don't recognise some of these. I've never heard of them. Exactly. Well, the, the, Peruvian soul and the Georgian Larry. Yeah, the good news is Peru is cutting rates very pretty aggressively, yeah. so maybe you can hold on. You can tell the individual on this call who's the intelligent one who's closer to those markets. And do you know the worst thing, Steve? Chili Noki. I would have been making money if I stuck with it. Yeah. <laughs> the one time I turn around and go, I go, oh, no, you know what? I think I've seen the pattern. Yep, the only pattern we're seeing here is me losing money on my trade of the year. Well, between the three of us, we haven't had some of those shoulda, woulda, coulda calls. In the <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Very many of them, yeah. Actually, I just want to go come back on something you said, Steve, as well, about this, you know, the cybersecurity thing and third-party security, because it seems to me that when I read about these major outages or these, you know, like a, a, um, attempted attacks even, they're always coming through a third party, a, a small piece of the process that's been outsourced. Do you think there's enough transparency around actually where people are outsourcing? Well, you know, I had this down as one of these items I wanted to <clears throat> talk. I think that this probably, and on your podcast, I think you nailed it, that this could be um, a potential for 2024, 2025 is Yes, a cybersecurity threat, because while you would assume that the liquidity providers all are dealing with this and have been dealing with this subject for quite some time and have built up, you know, significant firewalls to protect themselves, the ecosphere of this over-the-counter market that we do trade in um, with the exchanges there clearly is a risk there to a rogue headline, as you say, especially taking AI along with, you know, this automation right now. So that's it's got to be, you know, one of the number one risks as we move forward. So, I mean, Andy, you obviously you worked in you've worked in a lot of institutions with you know, tentacles all over the industry. I mean, would you have understood in a relatively important role, would you have understood all the nuances of all the little third-party services that are plugging in to deliver your in your in service? I, I think no, no, truthfully, because the you know when we picked up certain behaviours with our you know alert application, however you want to describe it, it would be picked up by compliance, and they come to me and go, "We no idea what's going on," um, and the I. You know, I'll freely admit there were rarely, but there were occasions when, you know, the there were so many levels going backwards of of providers and where liquidity was coming from, et cetera, et cetera, and 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 also the other way around as well. To be brutally honest, that it wasn't necessarily clear, um, and you know, depending on where you were, and and again. You know, this is dependent on platform or whatever. But if there was a retail element, you know, there was there were definitely grey areas in in that direction as to who was participating. If you, if that if that's fair, yeah, okay. But you know, Colin, just to highlight your point here, 
you know, I'll jump ahead, maybe subway into another discussion. The uh, e-trading survey out of J.P. Morgan. Um, you know, the greatest daily challenge. Everybody talked about volatility and liquidity. Yeah, okay, those are normal tops, right? But, and that's pretty much close to last year's results. But data security, zero percent. Yes, I thought that was interesting. I mean, so we're highlighting potential here. And I mean, the survey, nobody's, is nobody looking? I don't know. Uh, and that's why I say I can agree on the third party avenue, because I think the banks have probably done a significant, you know, or the liquidity providers, let's say, have done a significant job in probably, you know, dealing with that issue. The the e-trading edit was actually an interesting one because, you know, obviously it was all about technology, you know, 100% of response, and they had over 4,000 respondents, which is really good. Um, you know, 100% said they would do more e-trading, but it's all that workflow stuff that comes with it. I'm thinking, well, yeah, um, maybe, maybe, Steve, it's because they were traders. And, you know, I guess in our day we would care about where our price went. But once we'd done the business, once we'd done the trade, we tended to forget about it a little bit and just go, oh, yeah, we're good. And where's my next trade? You know. Yeah, that, that's a good point because, you know, that could, in fact, your respondents may not be out of your uh, data centers. Um, perhaps some of the quants and programmers, maybe they weren't involved. I'm sure they probably were. But, yeah, I, I, I must admit, I thought that was really interesting. I was thinking to myself, Okay, that's a little bit of a surprise. I mean, obviously, you know, the new technologies took a bit of a kick in, like blockchain was less interesting to everybody. Right. But then I think it could be because, just whisper it, people might be getting bored of blockchain. Well, you know, 78% said they don't plan to trade, you know, uh, crypto. Uh, as Bitcoin's breaking 52,000, I'm just wondering <laughs> at what point does everybody get dragged in? <laughs> Well, yeah, you know, I mean, but, and as we as we all know, of course, it's the it's at the point that everybody gets dragged in. That's the top. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll, that's a there's a good point out of that survey. Then let's watch when that drops. You know that everybody wants to get involved. That's the time they hit the bid. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, last time Bitcoin went down was when my mother mentioned it to me, and she was like eighty seven at the time. I mean, it's definitely time to sell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anybody whose mother is not involved or, or or close family are not involved of that nature? I, I'd like to know. Yeah, I'll give you a clue. I'll make sure my mother stayed well away from it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not going to comment. I've kept out of it. Um, You, you know, the, the two sons connection, the younger sons connection, um, et cetera, et cetera. Enough said. Yeah. You've got yeah, you've got you you've got a bit of crypto in in there somewhere, yeah. I what's what stood out for you there though, Andy, in that in that survey? Um I'm not sure anything is a surprise now because I think if you you know you you go back, I I, I still yeah, nothing really stood out. No. Because I thought the uh, to Steve's point, they're not they're worried about they're not worried about data security, but they are worried about information leakage. And I'm kind of thinking are the two not connected somewhere? So it's a strange one, wasn't it? And yeah, and I guess the other thing was, you know, sad to say, uh, um, it looks like FX is like no longer going to be the most electronified market if the if these if the survey predictions are correct. 
Well, and, and, you know, while you saw FX drop off in 2024 slightly, the expectations for 2025 in that survey, almost every single product was uh, over 70%. So, you know, there's still a lot of gears shifting clearly out in the marketplace into electronic trading. But I did want to point out, number one, um, the greatest impact of 2024 while inflation and U.S. elections, I thought the U.S. elections might have been number one, but I was a little surprised there. But geopolitics dropped off to 14% from 19%. I'm like, has everybody become anesthetized by the news? And, uh, you know, or one other point would be, have the liquidity providers just become that good at pricing continuously and uninterrupted you know from our days you don't have the 30 bid looking for a lid you know we don't have that anymore so maybe it's the continuous nature of pricing today that kind of puts that on a back burner that's a good point i mean i i i think the reason my my rationale for it dropping off would be that i think if you look at you know the traders they survey and obviously they traded they surveyed a lot more people but um, last year was about Ukraine, and that's a lot closer to home for a lot of the traders that are being surveyed than what is, you know, uh, an escalation in an existing conflict. And I know it's a severe escalation. We don't want to get into it today, obviously. But I wonder if the geopolitics piece of it was actually, well, you know, we've priced it, we've priced in conflict. And to your point, the LPs have gone. Our models have have accounted for you know, a, a major conflict. Um, I mean, certainly it doesn't seem to be upsetting liquidity that much, although they're still worried about liquidity. But then when has a trader never been worried about liquidity? Right. Always. <laughs> but the but the news aspect, do we do we think there's a change in again from from when it was so relevant in our day to where what the perception is now amongst the new generation and the algorithmic generation and 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 do we think that there's a that there is a a complete change there where they're not as remotely focused on on it as as we were i think there's a lot less news traders than there were or or sorry a, a lower percentage of the market is executing on the back of news there's a lot of automated trading. I mean, Steve, obviously, this has been your world for the past, you know, probably 10 years where you're working with machines that are actually just using data and chucking out new data. You know, it's the old garbage in, garbage out theory, isn't it? It's whereas, you know, they wait. I've, I've often wondered this, and, you know, your insight on this will be quite good, I reckon, because I've often wondered that if something happens like an event, do the human traders have like, you know, half a second before the market that shows up in the market data? A half a second, 5,000 milliseconds. But yeah, but that's a half a second. Maybe that's a second. Well, actually, no, let me let me correct that question then. Because effectively, if nobody if nobody touched the market, these algos would carry on pricing in spite of whatever news event had happened. So someone's got to actually hit the market. Is that where the human trader's advantage still is? They actually will create the market data for the algos to react to. Given the incredible percentage of executions that are automated, even the human is utilizing an automated execution service, right? News transmits instantaneously 
to the marketplace and the models pick it up, whether they pick up significant names like in, you know, some of the early ones were Greenspan or, you know, when, when they spoke, they immediately. So in today's market, look at CPI, the CPI that came out last week, right? The, um, or this week, the immediate transmission into the dollar yen. Dollar yen was what? 149 and a half. It was immediately over 150, almost within the next price. So news transmits instantaneously within milliseconds. And that's why these adjustments happen. And back to our na new naming of a flash crash. You're not going to let that one go, are you? Good on you. I 100% accept your point. I guess my question was more about non-scheduled events. Yeah, like we know CPI is coming out at 8.30 on that day. We can program and, and we can get a news read now go. But if we're literally sitting there and nothing's expected and all of a sudden a headline, you know, somebody gets shot or, you know, there's there's a, there's, there's a major crisis in a, in a financial centre, you know, bank collapses or whatever that hasn't been seen coming, is that where the human trader still has an advantage? No, I, again, I, I'm going to say it's continuous the model execution right it's got feelers in the marketplace the moment a price changes throughout a number of marketplaces could be gold it could be interest rates uh, fx the moment one of those begins to move to whatever that external factor that just entered the market the models begin to execute in an autonomous manner i mean within guidelines that are set so where is, you know, does the human have an advantage to that? Well, yeah, the human is going to sit there and intuition is still the human's greatest tool. Um, and the human can clearly say, wow, that just moved 300 points. That doesn't belong there and step in and begin to position. But I'm just wishing I'd never seen Terminator. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but again, coming back to it, do we, so is what we're saying that, I mean, I, I believe that algorithms have moved, that they now incorporate a much higher percentage in the interpretation of human behavior. Yes. Yes. And, you know, and if we delve into some of that in the next three years, your most influential technologies, 61% of the surveys were AI. You know, what was interesting was that only 6% talked about natural language you know, coming a, as a major impact. Now, natural language is you basically sitting there. I mean, think about our day. Could you imagine if you could say, um, let's take the golden cross, which everybody watches, right? 50-day, 200-day cross. Uh, and I tell the computer, you know, listen, anytime one of these markets crosses, please alert me. And better yet, please immediately put a trade on. You know, I, I can't see. And so, I swing my whole discussion around, uh, is the marketplace really getting educated? Uh, AI, yeah, we all check that box. But are we, is the marketplace really getting educated to what the effect of this will be in a day-to-day -day environment? When you, you talked about pricing, transmission of information. Steve, I've just realized how you were trading until last year. And I was kicked out of it like 20 odd years ago because I'd never heard of the Golden Cross. <laughs> <laughs> I traded cable. I sold it. 
and I come back later and it was lower. Thanks, everyone. What's the problem here? <laughs> I now understand how you actually carried on for those extra 20-odd years. <laughs> I carry one of these little things around, right? To keep me to keep my technology savvy. <laughs> <laughs> I've got my Star Wars lightsaber and I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, I think that's what it was a Star Wars lightsaber you were holding up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, um, before we go, I just wanted to sort of also touch on one other thing, which was um, the Global Foreign Exchange Committee released the results of their survey around a potential rewriting of the code and anything that sort of attracted your attention in that. You'll be surprised to hear that two things attracted my attention, and I know the listeners are already groaning about it, mm -hmm. but <laughs> before we get there, anything else you, you looked at? I mean, I think the the code itself, if we're moving on to the code, I I do think that there, there is more pertinence and awareness. I also think that the the uh, involvement of, let's call them the you know, central bank, uh, Fed, et cetera, et cetera, has become more proactive and the people at those institutions are much more um, aware and than perhaps they were in in our original days, and and I think the, the there's a focus there now on you know the whole algorithmic world and and within the code there's a recognition of of where things are moving, and I think also you know the on the buy side you know some of the entities that were just purely algorithmically driven there is also in a good way i think an a, an awareness of of fx evolution and where it's at and the slight change and a, an approach within the models that reflect that i mean most market participants are very satisfied with the code's effectiveness as they should be and and, and you know maybe that's a good credit to aci and their training courses that are having a positive effect to the marketplace a single source of best practice is definitely, you know, something that seems quite appropriate. Um, and now we'll uh, hit that that rail with Colin and talk about, you know, pre-hedging and last look. They talked about it in 2021 and wrote papers on it. But, you know, you're going to have to drag a lot of people through the mud in order to get that as part of those practices. Can I... Can I raise a theory around the findings? So basically, everyone was 100% satisfied with the code as, you know, I think generally speaking, the code has done, it's been a brilliant, brilliantly effective document to date. And it is a living, breathing document. This is why they're doing a the survey. They are going to do another survey in three years' time. So that it just makes make sure it does stay relevant. What I found interesting was, that the only two areas, principle 11, principle 17, last look and pre-hedging, were the only areas raised where people were less than happy with their counterparty's behaviour. And the inference I'm getting from a lot of people is, yeah, but it was only a few percent. It wasn't that many people. No, it wasn't. But the vast majority of people who have signed up to the code are banks and platforms who don't want to change last look in particular. Maybe it has to do with... Um the proprietary nature in which um, market participants execute 
um, while staying within the, um, the guidelines that have been set, which uh, I think probably is gaining more and more momentum. Uh, if you just look at the amount of time on a last look or a rejection now, I, I think the marketplace is moving that down into, you know, very low milliseconds. Um, and the transparency, you know, transparency of pre-TCA um, and post-TCA, I think that the advancements that we're seeing at large are eventually going to make the case for more defined, um, you know, rules around those. But my, my point still stands that I think what we, we, we are hiding behind the fact that, you know, if that. 3% of people who were unhappy with it were all buy-side customers. Surely we should be more worried than 3%. It's more it's more impactful 3% because apparently all we ever do anything for is the customer. And if they're unhappy with this, then why are we not doing something about it? Because it affects our business model. Don't get me started. Yeah. Yeah, this one can get deep, yeah. Colin. And, uh... <laughs> and thankfully for our listeners, we don't have time for it to get really deep. Andy. So do you do you involve the 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 four o'clock world in in this as well? Well, um, allegedly, according to the um, uh, briefing paper, if you sell or buy ahead of the four pm fix, it's not pre hedging; it's hedging. Which, yeah, I've already made my feelings perfectly clear on that one. I just don't get it. I actually think it's it's it, we're trying to play with language, and the fact that we're trying to play with language makes me worry that they're trying to hide something. You know what? Trust and transparency are crucial to this marketplace. So disclosure and consent are important ingredients that have to be out there in the forefront, so that everybody has, you know, builds that trust and confidence. Don't get me wrong, Steve. I'm not saying anyone's actually doing anything wrong here because I, I know they all they all have disclosures in place and the clients know what we're doing. My problem is, is that we're still sitting here and no one seems to be talking about the fact that um, we are executing a fair chunk of the fixing flow outside the window, but it's not being measured. Um, and I think also, you know, the Westpac issue in Australia in interest rate swaps, admittedly, highlighted the fact, you know, a 50% pre-hedge was quite significant you know that's a sticky sticky subject but obviously a pre-hedge you've got to bring the person in that's asking for the execution to your side of the marketplace and pre-tca you know if you're having an order executed pre-tca is what you want to see you want to see that market if it's beginning to move so that's why that's why i would say the tools that are becoming more and more readily available to everyone and should be, I think are going to, you know, lay the transparency that you're, that you're, you know, referring to that we need. I mean, I'm, I'm going to talk in, I'm going to talk in a more generic fashion because of my history, but, but, and what I used to see, but I, I think that there is a positive move to more, and this has been, proactively driven by you know some of the platforms let's say in in a, in a in a good way that they will have somebody that is explicitly overlooking that whole area of trading behavior etc cetera, etc cetera. and they do proactively have conversations 
of of a certain you know of this nature to you know try and encourage people in the right direction and i think it has moved positively in that direction and i come back to my point about the regulators i think they're much more involved and conscious and astute about that whole thing now and and more proactive um and i think that's only a good thing i think people get nervous when regulators are proactive <laughs> but i'm defending them in that i think that if it had been 5 years ago they they weren't really sure you know and and now that the there's a there's a much better grasp of of the overall situation than, than there has been historically now you're going to worry, Colin, because now you're throwing in that watchdog and your AI and oh, here comes the Terminator. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think it's good that the 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 GFXE is still out there and is still engaging fully with people. Um, and I hope that they can drill down a little bit more into those responses, say, OK, exactly what segment of the market did those concerns come from? Yeah, we all know sediment risk is a big issue. Every regulator is pushing that one. And there's a lot of solutions out there that are, are actually working towards you know, delivering um, a better world for that. And, and the technology, again, is driving it forward and will bring us fast sediment. But you hope that, you know, they will take the, the granularity of the data they've got and do something about it. And maybe driving a more common source of data available to, for everybody to see for that transparent, you know, and that direct co connectivity um, advantage that the survey had, how come, you know, direct edge, uh, the ec cutting edge execution technology is so low, you know, has the technology cost gone up so high that you're no longer getting, you know, the best technology available on the on a single dealer platforms and doesn't this open up your third party you know area again for expansion and so maybe that's an area that the you know global code can jump into is the pre-tca availability for all you know so that people can see yeah i know 100 percent agree on that and on on a, on a rare agreement note, which I'm pleased to say, <laughs> always good to end on a happy note. Well, we know better not to take you on a nose. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's still time, mate. There's still time. Um, Andy, Steve, thanks as always for your time. It's always great to talk to you. And it's actually nice. These are the sort of conversations that we would have offline. It's just nice to actually bring it online and share it with the audience. So, guys, thanks for your time and your views. Thanks a lot, Colin. Thanks, Colin, Andy. Cheers. And to our listeners, uh, thanks very much for um, tuning in and we'll be back again very soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the Full Effects podcast, Currency Matters. You can download the podcast or subscribe through Apple or Spotify or catch us on the website, thefulleffects.com.